0: Good morning. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. We'll read the whole thing this morning. Psalm 138, a Psalm of David. It's always helpful for me to remind myself that these words were given by inspiration of God that they're the only sufficient, certain, and authoritative rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Psalm 138, follow along as I read out loud. Psalm 138 of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray. Our Father, as we have just sung, It can be well with us, no matter what we face, not because we can just white-knuckle ourselves to the next day, not because we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but because you are faithful. You have been faithful. You have proven yourself faithful, and you, you have promised that you will continue to be faithful, Lord, we thank you that your word has over and over and over again shown us that although our grip on you fades and falters, that your grip on us never fades, never falters. That you keep us, that you hold us, that you preserve us. That in Christ, we can be sure that it is actually well. Because you are the one holding us. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would teach us from your word. That you would use your words to encourage your people. That you would convict the sinner. That you would bind your people together. That you would conform us to the image of your son. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm grateful to be with you. I'm thankful to Pastor Matt for asking me to be here. Uh, Like Kyle said, I'm one of the uh, pastors at Mercy Hill, just down the road, um, right by the park. And uh, my wife and I have been there for about two and a half years, um, and we have loved it uh, so much. We we we're Memphians uh, originally and left, and we have come back for the last two and a half years uh, to this area, and we really uh, love it. But I do want to bring greetings from Mercy Hill Church. Uh, We are indeed sister churches Um, And so it's a joy to be with you this morning. As I thought about our theme for this morning that um, that I was given, Faith in Times of Trouble, The Salvation Belongs to the Lord, I, I began to think and be reminded of my own need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. That it is, in fact, a need that I have every day to be reminded of God's faithfulness to me in the past, but also to be reminded of God's promise of His faithfulness for all times and into the future. And it's interesting to me that as we read the Psalms, what we typically find is that God's faithfulness or a remembrance of God's faithfulness actually is almost always coupled with praise, and we see this here in, in chapter 138, that, that a remembrance of God's faithfulness is almost always accompanied by praise. And so we turn our attention to Psalm 138 this morning. And if, if you're taking notes and you want kind of a, a big idea, Mercy Hill, we call it a sermon in a sentence. This is uh, the sermon in a sentence. The Lord has proven faithfulness in the past and promised faithfulness in the future so we praise him in faith in times of trouble. I'm going to read that again because that's kind of long. The Lord has proven faithfulness in the past and promised faithfulness in the future, so we praise him in faith in times of trouble. This morning, my desire is that we would see David's praise for God's past faithfulness. We would see David's praise for God's his hope in God's future faithfulness, and ultimately that we would see our ultimate example of God's faithfulness in the person of Jesus Christ. I used to be a good Southern Baptist. I no longer am because I only have two points this morning, not three. So please forgive me. But the first point, if you are taking notes, is the Lord answered me. The Lord answered me. He has proven faithful in the past. If we look at our text, it says it's a Psalm of David. So David here is saying... In the first three verses, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me, my strength of soul. You increase. David gives praise and thanks here for the way that the Lord has been faithful throughout his life. I want us to break this, these first three verses down to see what exactly David is giving thanks for. The first thing I want us to see is who exactly David is addressing. He says here, I give you thanks, O Lord. This word, Lord, in all capitalized, uh, you probably know, it stands for the, the name of God, Yahweh. The name uh, of God, Yahweh, is the name that is used for God throughout this psalm. We see it in verse 1. We see it in verse 4. We see it in verse 5. We see it down again in verse 8. This word, Lord, all capital, standing for the word Yahweh, the name for God that is often used to point to his faithfulness, the fact that he keeps his covenants. But what is really interesting, and if you have a King James version, or if you have a New American Standard version, or a New King James, you might notice this. Verse 1 doesn't actually say Yahweh. In the original language, it doesn't say the word Lord. A more literal translation, if you, if you have one of those translations, it would say, I give you thanks, or I give thee thanks, now, he uses the word throughout the, the psalm, and so I, I assume that the writers of the ESV, or the translators of the ESV and other modern translations have said, you know, maybe uh, we just want to go ahead and put it in so that there's sureness about who this is to. But I think there's really power. There's power in the fact that he doesn't call the Lord by his name in verse 1. Charles Spurgeon said, His mind is so taken up with God, that he does not mention his name. To him, there is no other God. And Jehovah is so perfectly realized and so intimately known that the psalmist in addressing him no more thinks of mentioning his name than we should if we were speaking to a father or a friend. He says, I give you thanks with my whole heart. As if we needed to know who deserves the thanks of our whole hearts. But the use of the word or the name for God, Yahweh, throughout this psalm, as we see it over and over and over again, it points to God's faithfulness toward his people. Mm -hmm. Yahweh is the name for God when, when a writer wants to show God's faithful presence, when he wants to show his faithful work of salvation, when he wants to show his faithfulness to keep his covenant, he uses this name Yahweh. This is the name by which God introduced himself to Moses in the burning bush. It's the name by which he he used to reveal himself to Moses before faithfully delivering his people out of Egypt, I in my for money for my day job, I am an English teacher, and as an English teacher, I really enjoy uh, grammar and sentences and and breaking down sentences, and figuring out why authors use certain words and not other words. And you might be like, wow, that sounds really boring. That's fine. But for me, that is, that is what can really get me excited. And as I'm looking at Psalm 138, there are so many different ways that David could have addressed God. He could have used the word Elohim and just called him God. He could have, he could have used just the, the, the regular word Lord. But he uses the word Yahweh here. And he uses that word for a purpose. There's a reason that he uses that word and not any other word and repeatedly over and over and over again refers to him as Yahweh, as the Lord, as the one who keeps his covenants, as the one who is faithful. And I think the, the, the reason is to remind us that he has proven faithful in the past. That he has promised to be faithful in the future. 2 Timothy 2 would say, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even in David's choice for which name to refer to God by in this psalm, we are reminded of his faithfulness. His faithfulness is wrapped up in who he is. It is part of his name. So who does he address? Well, he addresses Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant-keeping, faithful God. But I want us to see how he addresses Yahweh in verse 1. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. The first thing that we see is that he addresses Yahweh with A heart of thanksgiving and praise. These words seem to be used interchangeably in this verse. I give you thanks and I sing your praise. These words seem to be uh, used in the same way. And he says, I give you thanks and praise with my whole heart. With my whole heart. With nothing held back. It makes me think about in 2 Samuel chapter 6. As the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back into Jerusalem, uh, chapter 6 says that David was said to have been, quote, dancing and leaping before the Lord. Same word, before Yahweh. That David was dancing and leaping before Yahweh, so much so that his wife approached him about it. And when she approached him about it, he said, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. He says, I will thank the Lord with nothing held back. With all of who I am. Why do we give God whole praise? Why is he worthy of our thanks with our whole heart? Because he is wholly faithful. There has not been one moment. There has not been one time where he ceased to be faithful. Faithful, And if God is wholly faithful, then we worship him and we praise him and we thank him with our whole hearts. But not only does he say he gives him thanks with his whole heart, he says, before the gods I sing your praise. What kind of praise is this? It's a wholehearted praise and thanks, but it's also a bold praise and thanks. This phrase, before the gods, has had a lot of ink spilled about it. There is a lot of disagreement about what this phrase before the gods mean. We see that that is a little g gods. It has to be because there's only one true big G God, and so the, the plural would make that have to be False. And many people have said, well, the gods here is just a a poetic way of saying the powerful people in the world. So kings and rulers and princes. Some people say, well, the word gods here is actually referring to the angels that you would see uh, depictions of in the temple. Some people say, well, the word gods here actually is is the false gods worshipped by people around David. And the beauty is, I don't know. I'm not David. I didn't write this. But, either way, no matter what it means, when he says, before the gods, I sing your praise. Either way, what this does is highlight David's boldness in his praise. He says, I'll give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. He will sing the praises of Yahweh loudly. He will Shout the praises of Yahweh, no matter who hears, even before the worshipers or false gods, or maybe even before angels, if that's what it means, or maybe even before powerful men and kings. He is not ashamed of singing the praises of Yahweh because Yahweh has been wholly faithful. And if you're willing to sing it in front of others, it must be real. It must be wholehearted. It can't be simply lip service. He would have been found out as a fraud if he had just simply been saying, yeah, I praise God. If it hadn't been real, if it had been lip service, he would have been found out. But He says, before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, I think it's interesting that he uses that phrase, sing your praise so i give you thanks o oh lord with my whole heart before the gods i sing your praise the thanks and praise before the gods is spoken of as singing i love to sing with god's people because singing is such a strange thing right like we we don't like for other people to hear us sing That's why we sing places where other people aren't, like the shower or in the car by ourselves with the windows rolled up. And then we get to red lights and we stop because people might see that we're singing. Singing is such a strange thing, and yet singing is such a profound and beautiful thing. Because as we sang, it is well with my soul, together, that is a joint proclamation that we had together that, that God is faithful and that we trust him and that we believe that he is who he says he is. And to sing the praise of another feels otherworldly. The songs of our culture sing this um, often sing some, some surface-level praise But we have the opportunity and we have the joy of singing the deep things of God. And singing feels, in some sense, otherworldly, and that's because it is. That singing is a way that we relay our praise back to God. It reminds me of this song that I used to sing at church when I was a kid called He Keeps Me Singing. I don't know if if y'all know it. Um, I looked it up last night uh, because I was trying to remember the words, and the first, uh, the first Google search that I found um, was from the Gaither Vocal Band, right? And so they're all sitting there, and it's like 50 people on some bleachers, and they you probably know what I'm talking about in the videos, right? And so they're, they're all singing together, and they're clapping, and, and the looks on people's faces... Like they're singing these words, like, there's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low, fear not, I am with thee. Peace, be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. There's just this, this beautiful picture of smiles on people's faces because they believe what they're saying as they sing. And David says, I sing your praise before the gods. I don't care who hears it. This, what you have done and who you are is the most amazing thing that I have ever experienced. The song he keeps me singing speaks of life's ebb and flow. And it seems like in the first three verses of this psalm, David is remembering a time when his soul felt weak. There was a time when he seemed to be calling out to the Lord. I think it's a cliche now to say that we live in unprecedented times. It's cliche to say that. But all you have to do is scroll your social media or watch the news or have a single conversation with someone that you know or don't know to know that there is trouble all around And David had plenty of reason to find trouble all around. He had plenty of reason to despair. Many will find reason to despair. Many will find reason to complain. Many will find reason to lash out in anger, to wring their hands in fear, to look to tomorrow with apprehension and dread. But we get to look to tomorrow singing. Because God is faithful. God is worthy of our singing because he has never yet failed. We see this in verse 2. Why does David address Yahweh with praise? Well, he says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Exodus 34 says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Your version, instead of steadfast love, may say loving kindness. One commentator of old translated it free mercy. Literally, the word means loyal love. It feels strange to say this because we often spend our time thinking about how we can be committed to God but the reality is is that God is first committed to us. That he is not a God who will change his mind. That his love is loyal. That he is full of loving kindness. That he is full of free mercy toward those who are his. And the The beauty of this steadfast love, of this loving kindness, is that it is wholly undeserved. David understood that he was altogether unlovely, and yet God did not love him because he was lovely, but because God was faithful. David was a great example of this, a deeply flawed man. But he not only says he'll sing because of his steadfast love, he says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. What does it mean that God is faithful? It means that God will do what he says he'll do, and there is no question about it. Psalm 78 is a a fantastic example of this. You can turn there if you'd like. But Psalm 78 is actually a psalm not written by David. It's written by Asaph. And Psalm 78 does uh, this really awesome thing where it basically tracks the faithfulness of God in, in the history of Israel. And not only does it track the faithfulness of God in the history of Israel, it often tracks Israel's unfaithfulness in their history. But in Psalm 78, Asaph writes in verse 12, in the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan, he divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a the cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly from, as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like the rivers. In the wilderness, in the exodus... God proved himself faithful. If you look over in Psalm 78 to verse 51, it says he struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies and he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. He goes on. That was, he, made it, he gave them the promised land. He goes on in verse... 69 of chapter 78, he says, He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. God has proven faithful over and over and over again. Even in David's life, as as David could look back over what God had done, God had proven himself faithful, even though we often have proven the opposite. Psalm 78, verse 37 says, their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. But this is all the more reason to praise him. As we think about the faithfulness of God, we we almost automatically look to ourselves and say, I am not faithful. I am the opposite of faithful. God has shown complete loving kindness and faithfulness to me, and I have not done that. And the glory and the beauty of the gospel... Is that that is the first admission that we have. That we have not been faithful to hold up our end of the bargain. That we have not been faithful. That we have not loved God the like he loved us. And yet he loved us enough that he held up both sides of the bargain. He held up both sides. This is all the more reason to praise him. And David understands this. He praises him for his steadfast love. For his... Faithfulness, But he goes on, he says in verse 2, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Again, he says your name, Yahweh, I am who I am. His abiding character, the fact that he does not change. He says you have exalted above all things your name and your word. This isn't hyperbole. He's not not exaggerating. He says, you have lifted above all things your name and your word. You have exalted them. And I don't want us to miss the glory just in this phrase. For you have exalted above all things your word. God has continually, from the beginning of creation... Communicated his character and his faithfulness. Psalm 19 would tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Romans 1 would say that he has revealed himself in the things that have been made. Our God speaks. And compared to the little g gods in verse 1, that is amazing. He spoke creation into existence. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Moses through a bush. He spoke through the prophets. And in Christ, we see him speak most fully because the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And God has made himself known and he has lifted his word high because it is true. Matthew Henry said, God has made himself known to us in many ways in creation and providence, but most clearly by his word. Why is the word valuable to us? Why is this podium I stand behind in the middle of our assembly? It's because it's God's word. It's because in his word, he reveals his character to us. And what is he? What character is he revealing to us? What character did he reveal to David that he is faithful? David would not have to forget for one second that Yahweh is faithful. But when we understand that Yahweh is faithful, I think it does two things. The first thing I think is humility. If you look at verse 2, he says, I bow down toward your holy temple. It's the idea of being prostrate of being laid down flat on the ground. When we understand how faithful God is and how faithful we are not, we humbly approach him. But not only that, I want us to see David's trust in God's revelation of himself. He says, I bow down toward your holy, holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. David trusted with all of who he was in who God had revealed himself to be. And often, we need both the humility and the trust we see here. Because I don't know about you, but I am often tempted toward arrogance in times of difficulty. I don't deserve to go through this. I don't deserve to have to deal with this problem or with this person or with this sickness or with this situation. And then sometimes we're tempted toward doubt in times of trouble. Why isn't God doing anything to help me? Can God do anything to help me? Where is God? But David here gets specific. And I think it's important that we do get specific about the ways that God has been faithful. And David gives a specific example in his own life. He says, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. You answered me. The glory in this statement Everyone around David who did not worship Yahweh, the one true God, called upon gods over and over and over and over and over again, and they never answered. When you think about 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah prays one time to Yahweh, and he sends fire down. The prophets of Baal do all that they can to attract Baal's voice, to, to, to somehow convince Baal to speak, and he can't because he's not real. He says, you answered me. Not only did you answer me, he says, you answered me on the day that I called. Most scholars believe that verse 3 is talking about some specific national trial, some specific national issue that the people of Israel dealt with, that David dealt with as their king. That this isn't just a personal deal for David, but that this is something that he dealt with as a king. They dealt with nationally that as a, as a people, they were suffering and struggling. And on the day that he called, the Lord answered him. God is faithful. He has proven faithful in the past. He's proven faithful in the past of David's life. Even in David's failures and David's fears and David's anguish over his own sin, God has proven faithful. And he has proven faithful for us over and over and over again. Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And as we look to the past, as we look in the past in Scripture, as we see the ways God has been faithful from cover to cover of our Scriptures, and as we see the ways that God has been faithful in the past in our own lives the ways that he has gifted us to even see those acts of faithfulness, let us be encouraged and let us sing with joy like David does. So the Lord has proven himself faithful in the past. If you're taking notes, the second point, the last point is the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He has promised to be faithful into the future. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He has promised to be faithful into the future. The future. We're going to skip verses 4 to 6 right now, and we'll circle back to them. Verse 7 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. David pleads with the Lord here to continue to preserve his life. Now, we don't believe that Psalm 138 exists in a vacuum apart from Christ. And that if we're in Christ, then we understand these things to be true in Christ as well. And so verses six, uh, 7 and 8, I think, really show us ways that we are secure in Christ. And so I want to walk through those really quickly. In Christ, we are secure despite our present circumstances. Look at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, it sounds like Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We see God's faithfulness through the future in all kinds of situations in the scriptures. Daniel was preserved in a den of lions. Daniel and his friends were preserved in a fiery furnace. The disciples were safe. In a boat, in the middle of a storm, because of the presence of Jesus. Paul said he was secure with little or with much, in good times and in bad. Romans 8.35 would say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I think it's important that we see verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Because it's much easier to believe that God is preserving our life when we're not walking in trouble. When we're living in ease, it's easier to remember that God is preserving our lives. But it's all the more important to remember when we are walking through trouble. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. In Christ, we're secure despite our circumstances. But in Christ, nothing touches us that has not gone through his hands first. I love this in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. In Christ, nothing touches us that hasn't gone through his hands first. I want you to see the power of God. He says, with just one hand, with just his right hand, he has stretched out against the wrath of his enemies and delivered him. With just one hand. Romans 8, 37 would say, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? David here says, I believe that you are who you say you are. I can trust that no matter what difficulty or pain or problem comes my way, you are faithful to bring me to the end. You are faithful to preserve me. And indeed, we can trust in the same faithfulness. That no matter what evil comes our way, that God uses it. If we are in Christ, God uses it for our good. Genesis 50, Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. We we can trust, as David trusted, That God is not found surprised or God is not found lacking. God is not found scrambling in the difficulty that comes our way. And when times around us look unprecedented or scary or terrible, whatever word you want to fill in, he is not found scrambling. But I think verse 8 gives us this beautiful promise. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. I want you to notice the sureness here, that in Christ we can trust that he will finish what he started. He will finish what he started. Philippians 1.6, we read it earlier. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, I love this. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and check this out, and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places. Paul says it's almost as if you were already seated in the heavenly places because that salvation is so sure that you are already seated there in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 has this chain that those who God foreknew have been justified have also been glorified, Romans 8.30 says. That it's already sure. You could say it's already happened, and that's what he does in, in Romans 8 because it's so sure because God is so faithful. Dear Christian, do you sometimes doubt That you'll be forgiven? Do you sometimes doubt that you will be brought to the end? Do not despair. Our hope is sure, not because of how tightly we hold on to him, but because of how tightly he holds on to us. We will be, as David said, preserved. But in Christ, at the end of verse 8, he says... The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. In Christ we can trust that his love will never run out. Often I I ask myself how I think about God. How I think God interacts with me. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I often think about what I think God thinks toward me. Because I have to remind myself that if, if I am in Christ and when God looks at me, he sees the perfection of his son, not the imperfection of Blake. And Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me all who, are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Christ, God's love for us never ends. He sees us as those who he loves. No matter what we face, his love never ends. And yet I think it's important that even though David understands, he understands that God is faithful, he understands God's steadfast love, how does he end this this psalm with a cry out to God, God, do not forsake the work of your hands. Please remember me. Even though we believe that God is steadfast in his love and faithfulness, there is, there is, there are times of doubt, times of question. But we can trust he will bring his work to completion. Now I said I would come back to verses 4 to 6, and I, I will as we close. Verses 4 to 6 say something really interesting. He says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. What does this mean? Well, I think in God's sovereignty, he is showing us, pointing us through the writings of David, that Christ is our ultimate understanding of God's faithfulness. How is it that all the kings of the earth shall give thanks to the Lord? Well, I think in David's mind there might be a, a specific um, application of this like right in his moment. That as he is literally singing the praises of God before the gods, it says in verse 1, as he, is, as he is boldly proclaiming the glory of God, that there will be kings around him who will see the glory of God, who will understand that God is glorious, whether or not they believe. But I think as we look at Psalm 138 through the lens of the entire storyline of Scripture, what we understand is that there is and there was a day. There was a day as Jesus died on the cross, as he rose from the dead, that as the gospel was opened up to all peoples, that peoples of all different nations, that the kings of the earth have given thanks to our God. But I think even more there is an eschatological level to this. In Philippians 2, Paul says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether that's through glad submission here on earth or for submission in the end. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. There will be a day when the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That what we understand to be God's faithfulness in the past and what we understand to be God's faithfulness in the future, that He will never stop loving us, that He will never betray His own glory. We understand the end of the story. We have a view of the world that is bigger than the next 10 years, the next 30 years, the next 50 years. We have a trillions of years view of the earth. That this is not all that there is. That this trouble lasts for a moment. That the pain we experience is like breath that's here one minute and gone the next. But there is one thing who stands forever. Scriptures tell us the word of God will stand forever and we will Worship him. We will praise him. We will thank him, just as we're seeing David do for all of eternity. As verse 6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. God is beyond our comprehension. David, here in, verse, in, in Psalm 138, is trying to grapple with the faithfulness of God. But he is ultimately, we, can, we grapple with it, and we study, and we look, and we read, and we enjoy. But ultimately, we'll never be able to plumb the depths of how amazingly faithful God is. The beauty is, for though the Lord is high, above our comprehension, beyond our ability to reason, he regards the lowly. And that is our only hope. For we are all lowly. And if we agree with God that we are lowly, that in our sin we are apart from Christ, that we are dead, that we are unable to pick ourselves up, we realize that he regards the lowly. How did he regard the lowly? He sent Jesus who came and John 1.14 says, tabernacle among us, the word made flesh, who lived a perfect life, who accomplished all righteousness, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, and rose from the dead, solidifying everything that he said. And our joint confession here, at church, this morning is that we believe that. And if we believe that, that's the ultimate picture of God's faithfulness. We don't have to look to the ways that he's been faithful to different people in the past, although it helpful. God has been faithful to save And that is our joy. Let's pray.